Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. You know, we've been talking the last few weeks, all of January, from this series called Circular. And it's about everything being connected. We're talking about the body, the spirit, and the soul. How many know we're a triune being, just like God, made in his image, and we, we have a body, but housed within that is a spirit and a soul. And we wrapped up last week with the series, but we talked about the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions. And we're really going somewhere with this. I want to use that as a springboard to get us to where we're going here in February in this new series called Soul Detox. Now, I think this is going to be important for you. I I would stress to anyone here today, try to come to every Sunday service. I know sometimes it's tough. We have things going on. It's not because I just want to get more butts in the seat so I can talk to more people. It's because I really think this will transform your life. There's something about the soul. Now, how many know this, that our spirit, it's wall-to-wall God. It's just like him. There's no issues. In fact, when we say things like, I want to grow spiritually, what we're really saying is, I want to grow soulfully, because how do you grow something that's just like God? But see, through this journey of life, through this process, what we're growing is this, this soul. It's called the mind, the will, and the emotions. And so we want to talk about this for four weeks. Not only that, Coming up on the 14th, which is Wednesday, the 14th, the 21st, and the 28th, we're going to do a special mini-series with Bishop Jamie Engelhart. How many have heard of him? He's awesome, awesome guy. So it's going to be February 14th, 21st, and 28th at 7 p.m. Wednesdays. Three Wednesdays in a row. Say three Wednesdays in a row. And you're like, man, that's a lot of church. Why do I have to go to church? You don't have to do anything. I encourage you, come every Sunday, come every Wednesday. Why? It will transform your life. When we can truly understand what the soul is, what it's all about, see how God sees us. Because how many know some of us have a pretty distorted picture of how God sees us? We, We really do. But if we could see how he sees us and really this journey of life, this mind, this will, these emotions, this thing we call soul, it will change everything. It will transform how you treat your spouse and your children and your coworkers and your friends. It will change everything. So I really encourage you, come out every Sunday. And here's the cool thing. Next Sunday, uh, Jamie's going to be here as well. He said, hey, why don't I help you out? I was like, dude, I'd love for you to help us out. So he will be preaching from the same subject, Soul Detox, this Sunday. But then he'll just break down into a little bit deeper revelation of the soul on those three Wednesdays. It's going to be good, you guys. I'm serious. I, I, don't, I don't normally make a big deal about get to every service. But I'm telling you, if you do, it's going to change your life. I believe 2018 will be completely different for you. Not that even all the circumstances change outside, but the circumstances in here, the way you see yourself and the way you see your father and the way you see through his eyes how he sees you, it really matters. Amen? So what's chipping away at your soul? These are some questions that we'll answer. What are those, those contagions, those toxins, those things that chip away at our soul? What's getting in the way of becoming the person that you've been created to be? The, the one who bears the image of the Heavenly Father, who bears the image of God. These are questions that we'll answer. Because we want to explore some things. We want to explore how we can neutralize those damaging influences, how we can change old thought patterns and habits and experience transformation in embracing our true identity in Christ. So let's look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet. He wasn't a bullfrog, by the way. I knew Bruce was thinking that. But maybe there was a bullfrog named Jeremiah. But this is Jeremiah the prophet. And he says in Jeremiah 50, verse 6, he says, My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They wandered around on the mountains. They go from mountains to hills. They sound lost. But look at this. They have forgotten their resting place. How many here without a show of hands could say, You know what? I'm in a season where I've forgotten my resting place. I would have what you call a restless soul. I'm I'm struggling with who I am, what I'm about. Now, I understand the spirit is who we truly are, who we really are, just like God, born of him, bearing his image. But the soul is something that doesn't get transformed immediately. Romans 12, 2 says that we're transformed by the renewing of our what? Our mind. So we have old habits and thought patterns. We have to remove those, and then we have to put in new thought patterns, and then hence we get new habits. This is how it works. 
But he says, they have forgotten their resting place. Let's be honest with ourselves. Maybe we've forgotten our resting place in him. You know, Jesus came to give us rest for our souls. So let's look at this idea today of a restless soul and how we can enter into his rest. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as always, we thank you for an opportunity that we can zero in, we can take some time to focus on you. We thank you for the scriptures. We love the Bible. It's this perfect picture and points perfectly to Jesus Christ, the true word of God. I pray we would see things correctly today. You would help us with some repentance, changing our minds, seeing things differently, seeing them like you see them as our Father, Jesus as our friend, Holy Spirit as our guide. I pray this morning we would walk out of here with more freedom than we've ever experienced before. And in this month, that we would see things we've never seen before concerning our soul, and it would change us from here to eternity. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. So the other day I was painting a door. And I painted for about 20, over 20 years now I've painted. And I was painting this door. And how many know what a pocket door is? I always thought as a kid they were cool. It's like, wow, it's hidden. No, it's not. Oh, it's hidden. No, it's not. You know, you pull it out and you, it's pretty cool, right? It's this pocket door. Well, how many know they have a different type of handle? It's like a flush mount handle. And, and so it has this handle on it. Well, if you remove that handle, which is good to do if you're painting so you don't just blast it all over. And I'm melancholy. I want everything right. So I pulled the handles off. So I pulled this handle off. Well, underneath it, there's a cutout for it. And it's usually bare wood. So at one point, I'm getting ready to paint this. I had taken the handle off. It was closed. And I, I went and I reached over with my right hand to open it up. And when I grabbed it, when I slid across that raw wood, I got a splinter in my finger. Now, how many love splinters? A couple weirdos in here. Um, I hate splinters. How can something so small and trivial just become so big sometimes in your feelings? So I'm walking around the rest of the day. I must have painted for another eight or ten hours. And every time I would grab some of them right hand and hit that, I'd be like, oh, man, I got a splinter. And I couldn't get it out. It was so small. I could barely see it. It was like on the backside of my finger where I had to almost break my wrist to get to it. I'm like, this is ridiculous. So I do what every strong, godly man does when he gets home. Honey, I got a splinter. She busts out the magnifying glass and she goes, yep, I see it. And she got out her tweezers and, you know, just a couple minutes in, guess what? Splinter was gone. Now, isn't it amazing when the splinter comes out? I mean, you're sitting there, the splinter's in, it's like everything you touch, it just, it makes you react. It makes you jump. It hurts. It's so small. How can this be? But as soon as she removed that splinter, it was like, wow. Now, do you do this when the splinter comes out? Do you rub it? Like, yeah, because you couldn't before. If you touched it before, like, you want to make sure it's out, but it feels so good, doesn't it? It's like, oh, this is awesome. It's out. That contaminant is out now. Now, I kid you not, the very next day, I had my drill gun, and I was trying to uh, bring some screws out, and it was really tough. And you know how when you have too small of a bit, sometimes it will spin in there, and you'll get some metal shavings? So I, I pulled it up, and I thought, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, because I'm melancholy, i got to clean the tip of this thing off before I put another bit in there. So I went like this, and as I did, I got a metal splinter in the exact same spot. Oh, come on, let me hear it. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh. And it was weird because it wasn't like the wood splinter where I felt it every time I touched. It would just be every so often, I was finally like, oh, man, and I couldn't see anything. Well, I kind of forgotten about it. The next day, I'm doing some work. I'm like, oh, I think there's a splinter. I forgot about it the next day. We were sitting at my niece's birthday party, and, I, and Kristen was sitting next to me at the table. And I said, man, I think I might have a splinter, but now feel this. It was this bump. And so she shut it out. She goes, honey, how long has this been in there? I'm like, I don't know, three or four days. She goes, are you kidding me? I'm like, I didn't really know. Well, now the skin's growing up over it. So we're going to have to, I can't just do it with tweezers. So she got out some, um, what do you call those? A lance, and she actually had to pick and pry and get that skin broken to get to it. But guess what? When she got it out, it was amazing. I was like, oh, finally. Isn't it crazy that something so small like a splinter can cause so many issues and so many knee-jerk reactions? See, I think as we go through life, our soul is a lot like that. You know, the first 12 years of our life uh, as an adolescent, as a child and adolescent, we, we go through this process where our brain starts to store thoughts and ideas and it attaches it to feelings. 
And so whenever later in life we, we, we do something, we eat an ice cream or we go here, we hear this word or we have this reaction that comes out of that 12 years that are built up in the mind, it will, it will access like a computer. It will try to find that thing that's closest to it and put it up there. But here's the thing. A lot of times what we see as truth is a lie. You follow me? And so there's, there's emotions and there's feelings that are attached to these random memories. And even though they're lies, we think they're truth. And so we react to things as if they're truth. What Jesus wants to do is he wants to come in and heal those emotions. So now when those things come up, if it's a lie, no longer are there any emotions or feelings attached to that lie. And it doesn't bother us anymore. Now that's not diminishing what's happened in our lives. Some things for a lot of us have been horrific. They've been horrendous. They've been wrong. People should have been, if not incarcerated, for things they may have done to us. Things may have been said that were wrong and damaging to us. We're not diminishing that. But I'm here to say that Jesus wants to heal our soul. He wants to heal our mind, our will, and our emotions. But we walk through life, and it's like we'll, we'll, pick, up, we'll pick up a sliver in our soul. And then we'll pick up a, another foreign substance. We'll pick up some type of toxin. And sometimes it festers. And have you ever been like, I don't know, maybe you're walking through Home Depot or something. And, and we're looking for the bathroom. And we know where it is. And someone says, uh, you looking for the bathroom? Yeah, it's right over there. Now, most people go, hey, thanks. That's cool. Even if you knew. But why do some people go, yeah, I know where it is. I know where it is. You think, what does he think? I'm stupid. Why do we react this way? Why do we have these knee-jerk reactions? It's because there's something in our soul that's toxic. And so we react out of that toxicity that we have in our soul. Do you follow me so far? But do you realize that Jesus came to heal us spiritually? He came to heal our bodies, but he also came to heal our souls. He cares about our soul. In fact, we have a brand new spirit here and now. It's instant. But the soul is a journey. For some of us, it's 40, 60, 100, maybe more years. And then what do we do in eternity? We get a brand new body. So the whole time we're on this planet, it's all about the soul. Say that, it's all about the soul. That's why I think this is so important. What is a toxin? It's a poisonous material capable of causing sickness or even death. For some of us, we become so toxic but we don't even realize it. Have you ever reacted a certain way and you're like, why am I acting this way? Have you ever almost been outside yourself looking at yourself and your reaction thinking, why am I responding this way to this situation? And you might not even know. For some of us, things have happened to us that, that we've buried so deep we don't even remember what the cause of a reaction was. I'm not trying to get all psychological, but I'm telling you, the mind is powerful. The soul is powerful. And Jesus wants to heal every facet, every recess of your soul. Why? Because he loves you. He knows how you tick. He gets you. He's the one that made you. He doesn't even need a user's manual. He is the user's manual. Because we are here breathing and living because of the word of God became flesh, Jesus Christ. That's what animates us. That's what keeps us going. So wouldn't he be the proper person to ask about this soul thing? Now, for some of us, it might be more deep-seated than others, but every single one of us, we have some type of toxicity in our soul, and God wants to deal with that because he loves us. Has anyone here ever detoxified your body? You ever went through a detox? Wow, a lot of responses there. Well, I've done that before. Have you ever went one week without sugar? Usually there's symptoms like headache and nausea and fatigue and just things you go through. Let me say this. When you go through this process of detoxifying, it's not always comfortable. That's why some of us don't do it. Because, because we're like, Jesus, I know there's stuff. I know there's recesses of my soul that need healing, but I just don't want to have to deal with the symptoms. It's going to hurt a little bit. It's, it's, it's going to be uncomfortable just a little bit. I'm telling you, you know what really burns those recesses and those, those, those areas that maybe we don't even like about ourselves out? It's his love. His love is so white hot. 
It's so wonderful, so beautiful, but it's also kind of scary in that when, when love, God is described as love and light. When love and light, when they, when they come fully unveiled before you, you see everything. And how many know that's not always fun? But here's what's beautiful. Light and love come to you fully unveiled, expose everything, even the bad things that other people don't know about, and yet God never condemns you. He says, I'm here. I see it all. You can't hide anything from me. Can I work through this with you? Can I heal these areas in your life? And sometimes we're like, no, it's uncomfortable. There's some security here, but you're hurt. I know, but, but I'm secure when I'm in this area of my soul. I don't want to have to give this up. It's like the splinter. Going through the process as she was digging and picking, and she, you know, it wasn't like maybe some of you guys, your wife's like, I almost think she's enjoying this right now. She was doing her best to, to be delicate and not hurt me, but it hurt. The process hurt. It was uncomfortable at the very least. But man, once that splinter came out, I could take a breath. How many could use that in their soul? Yes. Just take a breath and say, God. You care about me. You love me. You're not hurting me or making me uncomfortable because you hate me or you're angry with me. It's uncomfortable because the process is hard, but your love is keeping me there. And it's going to burn those recesses of my soul, those places. I don't even like those dark, deep places. It's burning those. It's cleaning those out so then I can breathe and I can enjoy life with you. And then I can eventually turn outward, my gaze turns outward, and I see others who are hurting just like I did. And now because I don't go through those issues, I can help others go through the same issues. It's beautiful on the other side. But going through it, not going to lie to you, it's not always comfortable. Amen? I want to look at two lies that man-made religion tells us when soul detoxifying, when we're through this process where we know there's something in our life that we need to deal with, there's something that we need to you know, go through, this journey we need to go through to get healing, there's two lies that man-made religion will tell us. Now, why am I saying religion? Because most people, you know, if you say, oh, he's a very religious man, we don't go, oh, he's evil. We think, oh, wow, he's, he's pious, he's good to others, things like that. But you know, Jesus didn't come to give us more religion. There was a lot of religion already on the earth, all over cultures, not just Judaism. I mean, there were, the Greeks had their religion. Uh, the Romans had their, I mean, there were religions everywhere. In fact, the word religion, it's from the Latin, two words, the word re, which means a return to, and the word legare, which means to bind like a joint or ligament. So the word religion actually means to return to bondage. Do you think Jesus came to return us to bondage? No, he came to make us free. What does that mean? I just run around and don't care about anything. No, no. We actually have freedom to make good choices. We have freedom to have relationship with him and allow him to change those areas in our life that we don't even like about ourselves in the first place. So two lies. Number one, I can do this on my own. I can do this on my own. You know, there's, there's no amount of, of willpower or self-help that will bring long-term healing to your soul. It just doesn't work. But see, religion does this. It, it dresses up in this facade of good works and performance. How many have been there? Where you're like, okay, I've got stuff in my life and, and this is the year and I'm doing this and I, I've got a 10-point plan of how I'm going to do this. And within two weeks, I'll be here and four weeks, I'll be there. And we're like planning out with good intentions, right? How many have made those lists? Oh, man. I mean, the beginning of the year, resolutions, man, we're doing it. And so we have this list of we're going to do this and I'm going to perform better. Why? So I can garner more love and blessing from God. But religion, the lie it tells us is that I can do this myself. If I push through, I can do this all by myself. I've been there. When I've tried to do this over and over on my own, I fall flat on my face. And then the guilt comes in and the shame comes in because I didn't perform good enough. But here's the deal. Our shame will cause us to avoid relationships, especially with God. When we get into this area of shame, it's a scary area to be in, man. 
Shame will just put you to a point where you don't want relationship. You build facades. You don't want to, I don't want anyone to come near me and I'll fake it and I'll smile even though I'm dying on the inside because I don't want anybody to know my stuff. Let me just clue you in on something. We all got stuff. I call it stuff in our lives that we need to allow God to work through, but we have to be open to do that. God doesn't force himself on us. Love doesn't act that way. So he's always there going, can I help you out? Can I help you out? I'm right here. And we say no, especially to God, as if he didn't know the issue anyway. See, Adam and Eve had this same knee-jerk reaction to the Heavenly Father. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. This is so cool because God would actually every evening come down and he would walk through the garden with Adam, with Eve, just hang out and chill. You know, like a good dad, you know, maybe he was busy making some stars, I don't know, doing something. He'd, He'd get home from work and he'd say, hey, let's go hang in the garden. Let's talk. Maybe not. This is my own theology. It's probably wrong. But God loved to hang with humankind. That's why he made us. So what had happened is the tree they weren't supposed to eat from, they did. Okay? So here's God doing his normal routine, coming down to walk through the garden. It says, In the cool of the evening, the man and wife heard the Lord God walking around in the garden, so they hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. Now, this is funny to me. Can you imagine them? They're like, you think he can see us? You think he can see us? It's like it's God, people. He can see you. So they're hiding amongst the trees in the garden. Verse 9, the Lord called to the man. This is interesting. He didn't call to the woman. He called to the man, and he asked him, where are you? Now, just so we don't mistake, it wasn't like God's like, I don't know where they are. I don't see them anywhere. I can't figure this out. Are we playing hide and seek? He says, where are you? I love this question. It's like he was saying, Adam... Where are you right now in your soul? Where are you, Adam? Where do you see yourself right now? So he answered and said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, there was no other time that Adam had hidden. It wasn't like they would ever, you know, every Friday do a hide and seek game. This was something completely different. He says, where are you? He said, I was afraid when I heard your voice, for I was naked and I hid. Now, this word hid in the Hebrew, it means to hide. It means to be hidden. But it's this word, and it's kava, and it also means to thicken or harden. See, I picture God saying, Adam, where are you? Where are you right now in your mind, your will, and emotions And Adam not only hid physically, but he started to put up a wall. He wanted to put this thick wall up to guard himself because there was shame that was creeping in. And he said, I've got to protect myself. See, we do this in life, don't we? I'll protect myself. I'll put a facade on. I'll put up walls. Nobody can come in. I don't want you to know who I really am. And so I'll just fake it till I make it. But as long as we're faking it, we'll never make it. Make it to what? In fact, that's the question. What are we trying to make it to? Like, we have these goals, but God's goal is, can we just have a relationship? And as we're going through, all that stuff's going to work out. But as human beings, we're like, i got to have a goal. By 2019, blah, 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 blah. And we have the list and the way it should be. But without God, it's impossible. We need his ability, his strength, right? And so here's Adam. He says, I hid, I was naked. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Mm. Did you eat fruit from the tree? I command you not to eat from. The man answered, that woman, the one you gave me, gave me some fruit at the tree and I ate it. Such human nature. When you get caught, when there's an issue, what do we do? We play the blame game. No, I'm not, I'm not getting on, that, on Adam. How many have done that themselves? I have. But what if his response, instead of blaming, would have been, you know what, God, I screwed up. I messed up. I want to be completely transparent before you. Now, I don't know how history would have changed or if it would have. But what if he would have said, you know what, God, I messed up. I need your help. I stepped out on my own. I tried to do it on my own through willpower and and self-effort and do it myself. Tried to be like you when all I had to do was depend on you and trust in you. So, well, I, I messed up. What would have happened? 
But he didn't. He blamed the woman. It's that, it's that woman you gave me, God. It was her fault. Look at this. So the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? Look at her response. The snake deceived me and I ate. See, it's the blame game. You know, what's interesting here, though, is that Adam, the Bible says that Adam was with her the whole time. He wasn't deceived. In fact, I think his heart had already sided with the enemy. I think he'd already made a decision. But the woman said, the snake deceived me. She didn't know what she was doing. That's pretty wild to me when you see it this way. But why is it easier to hide out and try helping ourselves than being transparent and allowing others into those toxic spaces? Why is that so hard? Because we don't want people to know who we really are. That's what we think, right? That's who I really am. And when we talked about spirit, we said the spirit is who you really are. We're not a sum total of our actions, but our actions will change and they'll line up with who we are in the spirit when we start to believe who we truly are and allow the Father's love to change those areas in our life. Amen? So we don't want people to see who we really are. And we don't want God to see that, although he knows everything already. And so this idea of religion is, hey, uh, I got this great verse. What is it? It's uh, God helps those who help themselves. What? That's not a Bible verse. Yeah, I think it's in Hebrews or something. Yeah, guess what? It's not a scripture. The Bible says that God helps the helpless. Wait a minute. Well, I'm a, I'm a faither, man. I'm not helpless. Well, unless you're like a little child, you're going to struggle through life. Because all it's saying is, will you depend on the Heavenly Father in your life and stop doing it on your own? God will help you, but it's not about, I'm helping myself, Lord, help me, help me, because I'm helping myself. It's, I'm helpless, I can't do this on my own, and he's right there, never leaves us, never forsakes us. He said, good, because I'm going to step in, I'm going to help you in this, because I help the helpless. It's not saying I'm helpless, I can't do anything. It's saying, in this situation, I'm helpless, I can't do this on my own. And God's right there to say, great, let me do this with you. Let me live life with you. But here's the issue when it comes to our soul in those toxic areas. The prisons created by our bondages give us a sense of security and certainty. See, when you know, when you're in that prison, I think often of this, they say that people who have been incarcerated, especially for a long amount of time, when they release them into society, they can't handle the freedom. And they actually sometimes will commit a crime, a petty crime even, just to get back in where they get three squares and a pillow for their head. Told when to do and what to do and how to do it. But see, Jesus has called us to a brand new life where the Holy Spirit leads us, he guides us, his commands, which is the main commandment is love, is written on our heart and we operate from that. We don't have to have lists of do's and don'ts. It's the Holy Spirit who leads us. It's the Holy Spirit who guides us through this life. But often if you've been incarcerated in religion and and self-effort and willpower, then when you get out and, and he says, will you step out in the freedom and allow me to take you to these places? We go, no. It's more comfortable, but you'll never heal that way. That's okay. There's security. There's certainty here. I know who my enemy is. I know where the walls are. I feel comfortable with that. I think I'm okay. I think I'm good. Because if I step outside of this, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be emotional. It's going to be tough. And God says, I know it won't be easy, but I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Can I heal those areas in your life? Will you trust me? Will you have faith? Will you let me step into those areas and heal them for you? Because we have to allow him to access those things. He's not going to just force his way in. I think there's times in our life where God will get our attention, just like a parent and say, this is going to kill you. It will take you out. Will you allow me? But he's never forceful. You follow me. And by the way, he doesn't cause uh, evil and chaos to get your attention. He tries to keep us away from the evil and the chaos. That's our God. He's a good, good father. He's a giver of good gifts. Amen? So why is it so hard? Well, we've got these walls. I know where the parameters are. It gives us a sense of control. I've been there before. And God's saying, will you release that to me? Will you let me step into that space of your life? Freeing ourselves to open up is hard because freedom is a scary thing. 
freedom makes us feel vulnerable. It makes us feel naked and exposed, kind of like Adam, right? Uh, And when that shame's there, you're like, I'm exposed. I don't know what to do. The best thing you can do is open up, be transparent. Your heavenly father's not going to judge you. He's not going to point his finger at you. He is going to love the hell out of you. All those recesses of hell in your life. It's like, I need you. Will you love me? He says, I've always loved you. It's never changed. It's unconditional. And when we're afraid to be vulnerable and exposed, why is that? Because of lie number two. First of all, you can do it on your own. That's a lie that you can. But secondly, we think we're powerful enough as human beings to change the nature of God. I can change the nature of God. How? If I have a bad day, man, I know he's love, but I think today he's anger. So we think that, you know, my, my good actions, uh, my good outward appearance, that somehow that gets me love and grace. Whereas if I have bad actions or a bad day, that gets me anger and retribution. So we think that somehow what we do can literally change his character and his nature. Now, when we say it out loud, we're like, well, of course we can, but we think it. We think if I act this way, then he will change who he is and he will act a completely different way. Now, some would go, what, so he doesn't discipline? Absolutely, but always in love. Discipline should never be punishment for the past. I mean, as a parent, I have to learn this. There's times where I've just punished my kids because I was embarrassed. I was just ticked off, and so I'm going to punish you. But that's not proper discipline. Proper discipline is training you for your future. In fact, it's his very love. I said it earlier. It's his love that will burn those dirty areas and recesses of your soul. It will clean them out. It's his love that does it. And so does he discipline? Absolutely. It's uncomfortable when we have to move, when we have to face the fact that there's something in our life that doesn't jive with who we really are. And we say, Heavenly Father, I'm open. I'm transparent to you. We think that our actions can change God's character can change his nature. But the truth is we can't. He's always love. Love holds no record wrong. Love never stops being patient. It never stops believing. It never stops hoping. It never gives up. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through the first part of 8. We read that and we go, here's my list. i got to walk in love, so this is what i got to do. It's describing the character of God and it's describing how you will look as your character becomes more like his character. And so we think somehow what we do can change his character and change who he is. I want us to look again at Genesis chapter 3. We'll go down to verse 21. Let's look at God's response to their wrong decision. This is what God did. Verse 21. The Lord God made clothes from animal skins for the man and his wife and dressed them. Wait a minute. Where's the reprimand? Where's the spanking? Now, I get it. You're like, well, he sent him out of the garden. Yeah, 22. Then the Lord said, the man has become like one of us since he knows good and evil. He must not reach out and take the fruit from the tree of life and eat. Then he would live forever. And we could say, in a sinful state. It was love that sent him out of the garden. Love said, listen, I don't want you to be trapped. I've got a plan. I saw all this happening, but I couldn't make things go my way or you'd be robots. Love has to allow free will. So he said, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to dress you. You feel naked and ashamed? I'm going to cover that shame. I didn't go anywhere. I'm still here. And I'm going to send you out of the garden. No, he said, you got to go out of the garden. Hey, Bubba, you got the two big angels there? He said, surround the tree. Why? Don't let them eat the fruit. If they do, they'll be dead in their sin forever. I don't want that to happen. I love them way too much. It was his love that sent them out of the garden. And we have the story like he's like, and lightning, and he's like, get out from my, I don't want to be around you. And it'd make a great movie, right? But it's not the truth. There's a lot of great sci-fi movies out there that are labeled Christian. You're like, wow, where'd they get that from? Anyway... My point is it was his love. It was his correction. It was discipline to say, I'm going to cover you. God's response was he covered their shame and protected them. Why? So he could work toward restoration and healing. God is always in the healing and restoration business. Always. Always. God is not retributive. How do I know this? Because Jesus was just like God. The apostle John said that nobody has ever seen the father. 
except Jesus who's come from his heart. He has shown him to us. What did Jesus say? Uh, little things like love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Wait a minute. Well, I thought Jesus was going to come down and slaughter people one time. Wow, so he's, he expects us to do something that he's not going to do? Maybe we need to read the Bible a little better. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do you know God loves your enemies? In fact, the Apostle Paul, I believe, said that we were enemies of God in our minds. Huh, wait a minute, wait, what does that mean? It means we were never enemies of God, except here. God hates me. Why? Because I just know he does. Look at all the other gods. Wait a minute, this is God who is love. Now, I know when we preach this, people freak out. Well, whoa, whoa, dude, you're getting a little too lovey-dovey here. Listen, love is the very thing that changes who you are. It's his discipline. You hear me? It's his reproof. It's his correction. It's how he grows us. It's how he helps us see things differently. His love is all of that. You could even say, if you want to say that God has wrath, to me... The, the wrath of God is his love in reverse, meaning I'm going against the grain of his love and I'm going to experience shards of wrath. That's what's going to happen. Because he set a whole system into place that is supposed to continue to grow in peace and love and unity. And when we go against that grain and we have people that are molesting children, people that are murdering people, people that are committing genocide, do you not think that breaks the Father's heart? We have people who look at people who have a different culture and different skin and we hate them because they look different than us. That breaks the Father's heart. And what comes out of that? Hatred, greed, murder, war. Our country is better than your country. God loves us more, really? I thought God loved everybody. I thought he loved the nations. I thought he loved diversity. But we become God and we become the judge. You hearing me? I'm not getting political. I'm getting kingdom-minded. When will we see the heart of the Father towards humanity? You were never his enemy unless it was in your own mind. Never. What was God's response? He covered their shame and protected them, working toward restoration and healing. So where is God? And more importantly, what is his disposition towards us in these spaces when we've messed up, when we've gone the wrong way, when we've made the wrong decisions, when we've committed the wrong actions? Let's just say it. We've sinned. Things that go against the grain of who we are. He comforts and clothes us. Do you see it? He's not out to get you. He's out to transform you through his love. This isn't a sin-free card. He hates sin because of the consequences it brings us. He's saying, don't do that. Don't make that decision. This is going to hurt you. You will pay for this for years to come. Some people even die because of bad decisions. And the Heavenly Father's heart, who is always to love, is wooing us to him saying, listen, that's not how love operates. Don't go against the grain of how he set everything up. It's this mighty rushing river, this flow of love. And when you go against the grain, you're going to experience hell and you're going to experience wrath. We get up in pulpits and tell people, pray this 37-word prayer so you don't go burn for an eternity in hell. And there's people living in hell on earth because they refuse or don't even know the Father loves them. They don't understand his love towards them. And if they would get in the flow and go his way, all of a sudden things would change. Do you follow me? I'm not yelling at you. I'm just passionate about this. If we operated like this, man, can you imagine the unity we would see in this world? But we get scared of unity because we got some trumped up crazy. I didn't mean to say Trump, but we got some weird ideas about eschatology and all this weird stuff. And we're like, whoa, 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 what's going on? Uh, um, there's three denominations and they got together and they had unity. The Antichrist is coming. What? So our very messed up eschatology makes us think that when unity's there, it's a sign. We're all going to get marks. We're all going to like get our heads chopped off. And we're all going to... What is going on here, people? 
We have to understand the Bible and end times and what that means and what God was showing and the passing away of the old and how the new came into existence. But God desires unity. I love it when I see Catholics and Presbyterians and Charismatics and Pentecostals getting together in unity and loving the world and showing them the love of the Father. It's absolutely beautiful to me. That's how it should be. But with wrong eschatology with wrong ideas we think unity is scary because you know the antichrist is coming john said the antichrist spirit is among us now two thousand years ago what's the antichrist against christ anything that goes against his way of love peace and unity that's antichrist as a believer when you look at somebody with a racist attitude with judgment with i'm better than them look at my social status versus theirs you know that you're operating in the spirit of the antichrist We think it's some weird thing with chips in our hands and our heads and stuff. Do you follow me? Some of you are like, whoa, dude, I just saw Left Behind. Well, throw it out and burn it. Maybe we'll have a meeting about the reality of what's really there. I know I'm stepping on toes right now. You can believe any eschatology you want. You can, however many blood moons come and go and whatever, you can do all that. Um, I just know this. We've been told several times it's going to happen and it hasn't. So maybe we need to come back to, okay, forget all this sky opening up and weirdness. Jesus is coming back to usher in a brand new earth with unity and peace, by the way. But what if we concentrated on the kingdom and looked at the earth and the world as a place we didn't want to exit really quick. We wanted to actually be here and change it for the kingdom of God. What would happen? We need to hear more of this. We need to preach more of this because then we would actually literally live in a different world. It would change with Jesus living his life through us. Seeing people like he sees people. None of this is in my notes. Please come back next week and we will continue in soul detox. I'm going to look back at the scripture we're in, Jeremiah 50 and verse 6. He says, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They wander around in the mountains. I mean, these people are lost. They go from mountains to hills. And it says, they have forgotten their resting place. What is God's response to our being lost? Luke 15, Jesus tells us, verses 4 through 6. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. What do you do? You leave the 99 sheep in the pasture and you go looking for the one that got lost, say lost, Lost. until you find it. This is what the good shepherd does. Verse five, when you find it, this is beautiful, you are so happy. Say God's happy. He's so happy that you put it on your shoulders and carry it back home. Now get this. First of all, it's not about me finding Jesus. He finds me. You've been in those situations where you're like, You found me. He's like, yeah, I kind of knew where you were. (laughs) Never play hide and seek with Jesus. You're going to lose every time. Might as well stay at the safe spot, which is him, by the way. That was good, wasn't it? Just came to me. Holy Spirit's flowing. But think about this. He is the one who seeks us out. He's the one who finds us. And then he doesn't go, okay, I found you now. Here's a leash. Come on, I'm dragging you back. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. He puts us on his shoulders and carries us back. And we go, no, gee, no, I got it now, I got it now. I can do it. No, no, just, just rest. Just stay there, will you? No, 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 gee, I want to prove to you. You don't have to prove anything to me. Don't have to prove anything. Stay on my shoulders, just rest. Let's go home. You see the attitude of God in this? That's his response to the lost. It says, then you call your friends and neighbors. So he gets home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, and he says to them, I am so happy I found my lost sheep. Let's party. Let's celebrate. This is awesome. I love the words of Jesus. They're beautiful. Do you notice that the lost sheep is found by Jesus? And Jesus puts the sheep on his shoulders? We're never alone in this, people. We're never alone. So what's God's response to our restless soul? Matthew 11. More words of Jesus. Verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and then you will find what? Rest for your what? Souls. Take a deep breath. Let it out. Breathe. Let it out. 
He says, I will give you rest for your souls. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what's his answer for a restless soul? Come to me. Do life with me. Let's do this together. I want you to have rest. See, sometimes we, we, you know, we hear people who preach about rest and grace. We're like, well, I don't like that because they're just a bunch of lazy folk. Or there's people in that group that go, yeah, I'm just lazy. I don't have to do anything. And it's like, wait a minute. No, no. It's operating in life from a state of rest where I'm not anxious, I'm not worried, I'm not just wondering, well, what's next, what do I do? It's, it's literally, could you just imagine? I mean, could you, if I had to choose between millions of dollars and complete rest and peace all the time, I'll be honest with you, I would take rest and peace. Because all the money in the world won't bring that. But my point is, it's about Jesus living life with us so we can live from a restful state. He wants us to have a restful soul not a restless soul. So what it takes is a decision to trust. It's called faith, amen? Decision to trust Father and really respond like David did. King David said in Psalm 62.1, truly, say that, truly my soul finds rest in who? God. David got it. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Now what is salvation? Some people say, uh, I think it's that ticket to heaven, right? The train to heaven. Well, listen, we, we have all eternity with God. That's beautiful. But you know, salvation's here and now. It's preservation, safety, deliverance, wholeness, healing, rest in our soul. That's salvation. And we are continually, the word says, working out our salvation. He's already worked it in. I mean, he's worked in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He's already put good works in there. It's all in there. It's, it's all just ready to flow and ready to go, and the Holy Spirit's working on it. And as it starts to grow, you're working out that salvation, that safety, that preservation, that deliverance. How many would love deliverance in the areas of their life? Oh, my goodness. Wholeness and healing, that's what he desires for us. And he says, work that out. I've worked it in, so together now, let's work it out, and you will transform the way you think, the way you act, and the way you feel. Will you trust me? Amen? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We praise you. You're magnificent. You're wonderful. You are the lover of our souls. We thank you for that healing and that wholeness, that preservation, that safety, that deliverance that you've already given us. You've already worked it into us. I pray that as we go through this series, more and more we would see what you're up to. We would see what this mind, will, and emotions is all about. We would learn more and more to trust you and that you're a good, good father and you're a giver of good gifts and you love us. And even in your discipline, even in your correction, it's always loving. You don't beat us. You don't hurt us. You don't maim us to teach us lessons. Through your love, you show us this is how it could be if you allow me to change those things in your soul. This is what life could look like and what I want life to look like but I'm not I'm not in a hurry I'm not forceful I'm not making you but my desire is from here till you pass through all eternity to work on those recesses of your soul that you don't even like anyway but thank you for your grace Holy Spirit you are the spirit of grace it's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to say no to sin. You convince us of our righteousness, our right standing with you. That all is good between Father and us. You weren't angry with us. You didn't have to beat up your son because you just were vengeful and you had to take it out on somebody. We put Jesus on the cross because of our greed our anger, our retribution. But your answer was to that was a definitive big N-O through the resurrection and the first words out of your mouth, Jesus, were peace beyond you. Will we learn the lesson? Will we learn what you're teaching us? Jesus, Master, Savior. 
every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you would say, you know, I, I've heard about this Jesus, I've not quite understood it, but he does seem like a different way to live life, and I'd love to follow Jesus. I'd love to live a life that is full of peace and love and unity, and actually, I have some issues in my heart that I'd like to get healed. I have issues with how I see people based on the color of their skin or, or social status or uh, maybe issues they have in their life, and I don't wanna be like that, that's not right. If you wanna follow Jesus, it's real simple, it's saying, Yes, Jesus, I will follow you. He doesn't say, you know what? You got to get it all right on day one. He's saying, follow me. I will show you the way. In fact, you can follow as I walk along with, and I will show you how life is done. Now, it might be uncomfortable. It might be a little awkward at times. You might see things come out of your mouth you've never said before that are good instead of evil. You might see actions that you've never seen before. And you might go, whoa, is this me? Is this me? And Jesus is like, yep, that's you. That's who you truly are. That's what following Jesus is about. It's not a 37-word prayer to get in. It's saying, yes, I will follow you. I decide that by your love and grace to allow you to change my heart so I'm a different person. I am transformed by the renewing of my mind. If you're here today and you want to make the decision, just simply raise your hand and say yes to Jesus. I thank you for every person here who has made that commitment, made that decision. I pray that they would see it's not about performance for you. It's not about really good willpower. It's about you living your life through us. You will always lead us in the right direction because we can trust thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your discipline. We thank you for your correction. I pray today that even now, every day through this week, continual repentance, that means changing our mind. We see things like you see things and we choose to walk a different way, but not by our own power, but by your power. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.